This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Oh, morning, everybody. I would just like to say, I think Shane is knocking it out of the park as our pastor. Shane, thank you. I would also like to say, I think his wife, Lori, is also knocking it out of the park. For those of you who are veterans, on behalf of our church, thank you for the service you give or have given to our country. Um, We live every day. So sorry. Technology is great sometimes. Um, The freedoms we enjoy today, the fact that all of you have come here without a single fear that somehow the government is going to intervene and somehow destroy what's going on here, we take that for granted day after day after day. But... um, I believe it was Thomas Jefferson who said, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And for all the veterans, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's have a round of applause for all of you. And that leads me to the next thing I want to talk about for a little bit. My heart breaks over what's happening in the Middle East. Does yours? There are so many innocent people being caught in an ugly conflict. And unfortunately, the history of people is that we tend to do this stuff to each other regularly. I remember when I was a child we were taught that the nickname for World War I, does anybody remember what his nickname was? The War to End All Wars. How'd that work? Lasted for about 25 years. And then we had World War II. And it's been like this for millennia. In the middle of all of this, there is the beautiful and wonderful kingdom of Jesus. That whether it's peacetime or war, no matter the country, no matter the culture, the kingdom of Jesus continues to grow and thrive. I want to spend a moment in prayer together for all the people caught in the Middle East who are absolutely terrified for their lives. Father, our hearts are heavy because those are real people and real families, real fathers, real mothers, real children, and their lives are in peril. Some of them today are mourning an unbelievable loss for them. Some of them have been kidnapped and they have no idea even if they'll have a future. Some of them are on the front lines 
and they're filled with hate. Some of them are on the front lines because they were told to be there and they probably don't even have any hate. There's so many people being forced into so many circumstances that are so, <coughs> so inhumane. God, we ask for your grace and your mercy on humanity. We're so grateful that someday you're going to set all this right. Someday you're going to bring an end to evil and everything that's wrong and everything that's broken in our world. In the meantime, we're asking you to draw near to all of those whose lives are in peril and to all of those who are grieving the loss of a loved one. And God, would you somehow bring an end to that conflict? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On that wonderful and cheery note, uh, I have some really good news. And I want us to walk through it together. The title of this teaching series is Unstoppable. Oh, thanks, Shane. Um, and the good news is this. The kingdom of Jesus is actually unstoppable. I find great comfort in that because no matter what happens in our world, in the undercurrent of everything that's going on in our world, there is this beautiful and wonderful kingdom that's the kingdom of Jesus. And here's some things that God says about the kingdom of Jesus. 600 years before Jesus came to this earth, the prophet Daniel said this about the kingdom of Jesus. The God of heaven will set up another kingdom that will never be destroyed. I want to just pause there for a minute. Years ago, I spent some time in the country of Egypt. And, and I went to the Great Pyramid and I went to uh, the complex of Karnak and I went to King Tut's tomb and Ramesses and all that kind of stuff. Such a fantastic history is there. But it's not that great a kingdom today because that kingdom got destroyed. I've been to Rome. I've seen the Colosseum. I've, I've seen the, the great forum that's there in, in Rome. <clears throat> fantastic culture but that kingdom got destroyed I've been to the major cities where the major kingdoms of this world have ruled from and guess what they've all fallen one at a time and yet the kingdom of Jesus is now 2,000 years old and growing. Yeah, it says God's going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or even ever given to another people group. Nobody's ever going to conquer it. 
<clears throat> this kingdom will conquer, a.k.a. be greater than all the other kingdoms. It will bring them to an end. In other words, long after they're gone, it will still be here. And just in case we miss the point, it will continue forever. That's why we're talking about unstoppable. The kingdom of Jesus, what you belong to. If you're a follower of Jesus, what we would like to invite you to become part of, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, is this eternal, unstoppable kingdom that will endure after everything else is done. I remember when we were building this place and converting it from a warehouse to an assembly hall. And the code that we had to follow to convert this to A1 assembly space was amazing. There were big trenches in the floor here and one inch square rebar. I mean, the whole network of it that went this way and across the back and this way. And there's 30 tons of steel in this ceiling. They jacked up the roof about two inches. They put all those big beams in there. They, they what, did what they called loading the beams. They lowered the roof and the ceiling on the beams. And I talked with the engineer and he said, you want to know how much those beams flexed when we, when we lowered the roof? I said, yeah. He said, not even a 32nd of an inch. He said, this is the corridor of, safe, of safety. I said to all of our people, if we ever get the big shaker and everything is flat, you want to pray you're at church because there will be one thing standing and it will be this corridor of safety. Can I tell you that when the big shaker comes at the end of time and every kingdom in this world is destroyed, you want to be in the kingdom of Jesus because it will be the only thing standing. Yeah. Here's how Jesus said it. He said, I will build my church and even the gates of hell itself can never prevail against this kingdom I'm going to build. Was Jesus just blowing smoke or did he know what he was talking about? Let me read something to you. The kingdom of Jesus currently today is the largest enterprise on the face of the earth. It dwarfs Amazon. It did, yes, I know, even though some of us live by Amazon. It dwarfs Amazon. It dwarfs Microsoft. It dwarfs any other organization or enterprise you can name. I mean, when I say dwarfs them, I mean, they're not even in the same category. The kingdom of Jesus has, has points of operation, not only in every, in every country in the world, but in every state of every country in the world, and in virtually every county in every state, in every country, in the entire world, and in most cities, there are multiple places of operation for the kingdom of Jesus. There are millions of outlets. They're called local churches. It's the largest enterprise on the face of the earth. It will always and inevitably prevail. 
It is the only thing on our planet that will be taken directly to heaven at the end of time where it will thrive for eternity. How about that? That is awesome, isn't it? The kingdom of Jesus is unstoppable. So for this morning, let's ask ourselves a question. What is it that makes the kingdom of Jesus unstoppable? That might be worth considering. Well, Jesus himself gave us a hint. He said it like this in John chapter 13. The love you have for others is the way people will know that you are my followers. This universal identifying characteristic of people in the kingdom of Jesus. It's true in every culture. It's it's true in every state, in every county. It is supposed to be true in every local congregation. I recently returned from India where I preached two Sundays ago in a local church that you have a vested interest in. Alan said you are generous. Shane said you're generous. I preached in a local congregation in India um, in a little town called Kuvapali. And this church exists today because this congregation paid the salary of the pastor who planted that church for three years while they could get the church off the ground. And that church has grown. They started out with a little building that would seat about 40 people. And they quickly outgrew it. And they were able to add a big room onto that building. And that original building is now where their children's ministry takes place. And the people actually meet in another room that was jam-packed. It holds about 100 people. And that church is is thriving. And when I got done speaking to, oh, by the way, one of the most unique experiences of my life, the moment I stepped onto the platform, a massive clap of thunder shook that entire building. And here's the clincher. It thundered about every 20 seconds, two or three times a minute, the entire time I spoke. So I know one of two things. Either God really liked what I said or Satan really didn't. (laughs) Because here with that much noise, we would have just stopped, but they didn't. When the church service was done, there was an older woman from that congregation who came up to the stage and she took me by the arm. She couldn't speak a word of English. And I could tell by her motions, she wanted me to take a picture of her. So I got my phone out to take a picture, and she shook her head. And then she came and stood right beside me. She wanted me to take a picture of the two of us. So I took my phone out, and I took a picture of the two of us. And she knew I was about ready to leave. She took me by the arm, and it was raining cats and dogs. I mean, It was coming down in sheets. 
And that church sits on a street that we would never have here in Petaluma. It's like at a 30-degree angle, right? And I had to walk down that street, and I had to walk across a busy highway to get to the car. She took me by the arm, and she escorted me out the church, waited till I got my shoes on, and escorted me down the hill and made sure I was safe crossing the, the street to get into the car. The kingdom of Jesus is marked by outstanding love. That's a lady, I don't even know her name, and by now she probably doesn't know mine. But there was no mistaking the love. How important is that love to this church? Well, here's our mission statement. It's up here on the board. We exist to connect people to the life and the love of Jesus by loving others the way Jesus loves us all. Do you resonate with that? That's who we are. That's who we are. And I'm so happy about that. You ever get a report card in school that you did not want to take home? <laughs> mm-hmm. Some of you even forged your parents' name. <laughs> well, there's a report card that came out recently on the Big C Church. I'm talking about the church kind of the global church. And I just want to say up front so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying, I don't believe this report card actually fits New Life. I believe this is one of our strongest points, and I'm so grateful it is. But I think we have to realize how people in the world look at people in the church. So we're going to look at three screens and I call this a report card that hurts, okay? These are some stuff, tough statistics. Did you know that 41% of the non-Christians in our culture perceive the church as judgmental and condemning? That's better than four out of every 10 people, almost half. Second statistic. 48% of the non-Christians in our culture believe the church is primarily known for what it's against. That's half. What did Jesus say would be the, the, the overwhelming characteristic and hallmark of the church? Our love. And yet our report card says that half of the people feel like we're not known for our love. We're known for the exact opposite. And here's the one that shook me up the most. In the non-Christian community, only 21% of the people think of the church in a positive way. That means 80% of them don't. Should we be concerned about that? Oh, yeah. Our hearts should break over that. Let's take a look at a couple of facts. The first one is not surprising. God cares about what we think of others. We all know that, right? That's not surprising. What might surprise us 
is that God actually cares about what others think of us. I grew up in churches where no one ever talked about that. We actually kind of wore it as a badge if everybody hated us. Hmm. How do I know God cares about what others think of us? Well, let's read a couple passages in the Bible. Suppose the whole church meets together and everyone is speaking in different languages. Notice what Paul says. If some people come who are unbelievers, they will say what? You're crazy. Oh, that makes a difference. Let's read another one. A prospective elder or church leader must also, Paul writes, have a good reputation with those outside the church. God cares what other people think of us. And last of all, there are many of these. I'm just going to read these three. We are trying hard, Paul says, to do what the Lord accepts as right and also what people think is right. Yeah. As a church, we should care about our reputation in the community. Now, we're not trying to make the church popular. We're trying to make the church relevant and part of the culture. Shane said it really well. New Life has a wonderful reputation in this community. Why? Because we have believed from the very beginning what we read a while ago, and this is how Jesus expounded on it, you must love others as I have loved you. Wow. The love you have for others is the way people will know that you are my followers. So, the primary unstoppable force behind the kingdom of Jesus is love. Now, look at the next statement because that's what I want to focus on for the balance of our time. The key to loving like Jesus loved is found in growing our love in the same way he grew his. I can tell you two weeks ago, I would not have written that. I learned something about Jesus as I prepared for this teaching, and it has blessed me to my core. I would not have said to you that Jesus ever needed to grow his love for us. But we're going to dig into that a little bit. The title I've been assigned is this one. It is judgmentalism versus compassion. <clears throat> I crossed out judgmentalism because I don't want to speak all morning on judgmentalism because I know that if we grow compassion, what happens to judgmentalism? We don't have to worry about it. It's not a problem. So let's talk about compassion. Now I have some props up here. And the first is a set of shoes. And there's an old poem we've all heard, and I'm not going to read it to you, but it says, don't judge a person until you've what? Walked a mile in their shoes, right? Yeah. And I realized as I was putting this together that there are kind of two ways to approach this subject. And if I can get this right, I can put on a lab coat and I can get out my 
stethoscope and and I can start examining people and I can start learning about people and think that that might actually help me be compassionate because I'm actually taking in data. I'm actually recording data. I'm actually analyzing data. I'm actually building a case for why I should feel compassionate. And my, my thought is, if I gather enough data and I learn enough facts and figures, that somehow I will end up to be compassionate toward them. Turns out, that doesn't work because it's missing something. But there is another way, and that is this. I can actually get down and live with them. I can put on their work jacket. I can get down and work on their projects with them. I can share life with them. I can find out what happens to them when they smack their hand with a hammer. I can find out what happens when they build something and it doesn't work and they're disappointed. I can find out what happens when they build something and it turns out better than they thought and how happy they are because I will be learning the key ingredient in compassion. Let's take a look at three words that while they're often treated as the same in the English language, they're actually quite different. Here they are, pity. You see, pity is feeling sorry for someone. I can do that in the lab coat. I can find out all sorts of statistics I can read about how they struggle, and I can literally feel sorry for them. I can even have sympathy. Sympathy is a, is a compound word that actually is a prefix and a root word in the Latin. You, you're familiar with the word pathos, okay, which is human feeling, okay, it's the same that we get the word passion from, pathos. Sim on the front means like. So sympathy is attempting to feel like someone feels. I can also do that with a lab coat and a stethoscope. I just need more data. And I can attempt to feel like. Compassion isn't choosing to feel for someone. It isn't choosing to feel like someone. It's choosing to feel with them. That's huge. My wife and I were watching a a Hallmark movie the other night.
And there was a woman in the movie who had lost her husband uh, through disease at a very early age. And in attempting to help her, the neighbor came over and says, I, I think I know how you feel. And the widow looked at the neighbor and said, have you ever lost a husband? Then you don't know how I feel. You might try to feel like I feel. You might have sympathy for me. You might have pity for me. But until you've lost a husband, you don't know how I You see, what is often missing is what I call the presence factor. And I didn't realize this. But I want to read you something. And I want its truth just to sink in. Take a look. God's love for us has always been flawless. Right? Yeah. It's never been selfish. It's always been unselfish. But... Apparently, God wanted to grow deeper in his love for us. Does that sound sacrilegious? It kind of does up front, doesn't it? Because we think God doesn't grow in anything. But apparently that's not true because the Bible actually talks about God learning something, which blew my theology. Yeah. But apparently, he wanted to grow deeper in his love for us and his ability to relate to us because compassion is hard. It's not easy, even for God, and especially when he was in heaven and we are on earth. How's he going to feel with us? He might do his best to feel like us. Wow. What it was missing was the presence factor. And even for God, that didn't work. So here's what the Bible says, which was so eye-opening for me. Take a look. God made Jesus, who leads people to salvation, perfect through suffering. What? Huh. I thought Jesus was always perfect. No, he was sinless. That's different. Perfect means he's got it all. There was something missing from the love of Jesus that he could never know until he suffered. He goes on to say, since God's children are people with physical bodies, what did Jesus choose to do? Jesus himself became Like them. Jesus took off the lab coat and what did he put on? The work vest. He came down to be with us so he could feel with us. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. So he could be their merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Now, 
He can help those who are tempted because he himself suffered and was tempted. Did you know that's why Jesus left heaven and came to earth? I was always taught he came down here to die on a cross and pay the penalty for our sins. And that is true. That's not all the truth. Jesus actually came here so he could learn and experience compassion. Hmm. Let's read another passage that talks about this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, choosing to be made in human likeness. And while he was a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The lesson for us today is super simple. Not easy to do, but easy to understand. One of the unstoppable components of this all-pervasive love that Jesus calls us to, one of the key components is this thing called compassion or the ability to feel with people what they feel. I want us to follow the example of Jesus who said, I believe in compassion so much that I will get up off of my throne in heaven. I will set aside my lab coat and I will take on the work vest of the common person and I will go down and be born as a human being and I will live with people. I will live among them. I will eat their food. I will taste the grit of their dust in my teeth. I will wear their clothes I will, I will go through everything that they go through because I want to feel with them what they feel. I have some ways for us to do this. Take a look. If you want to feel what children feel, you literally want to have compassion for children then volunteer to serve in NextGen. And you will begin to feel what children feel. If you want to feel what addicts and the shelterless people feel, volunteer with Redwood Gospel Mission and you go right down and you'll be with them. If you want to feel what millions of people in Mexico feel, then go with our team to Mexico this summer and taste a little Mexican dust, and eat some Mexican food, and sit next to Mexican people, and work next to Mexican people, and you'll begin to feel what they feel. If you want to feel what the disabled and those with PTSD feel, then volunteer with Giant Steps. 
and help them on and off horses and escort them on their rides and listen when they talk. If you want to feel what foster children feel, then volunteer with our foster care team. If you want to feel what the elderly are up against, people who sit in their homes every day and can't get out, and they're watching the weeds grow in the yard, and they can do nothing about it, and they're watching the railing fall off their porch, and they could do nothing about it. If you want to feel what elderly are up against, then volunteer with our Rebuilding Together team, Petaluma team. If you want to feel the challenges that heart transplant recipients are up against, and friends, they are many. It's not like you check in, get a new heart, you check out, life's good. I can tell you that for sure. It is so hard. If you want to feel what they feel, volunteer with our heartfelt help team. And if you want to step into the shoes of an at-risk child, Become a mentor with Mentor Me, Petaluma. You see, here's the truth. If we want to grow our love, we have to grow our compassion. And friends, you cannot do compassion from a distance. You can only do it by being present. In order to grow our compassion... We have to set aside our lab coat, stethoscope, and put on our work vest. we got to get our hands dirty alongside those we want to love. And if we do, we might end up doing exactly what Jesus did. We might end up giving our lives for the people we love. Let's pray. Jesus, we can't thank you enough that you set aside the regal robes of heaven. You took the crown off of your head and you sat it there on the throne. And you said, there's something I've got to do. I want to know what it's like to be human. I want to know what it's like to be born. I want to know what it's like to grow up as a child. I want to know what it's like to be a teenager. I want to know what it's like to to launch a career. I want to know what it's like to work with adults. I want to know what it's like to experience popularity on earth. I want to know what it's like to experience rejection on earth. And yes, I even want to know what it's like to take on myself the punishment of their sin. I want to love like that. Lord Jesus, would you give us a desire to love like that so we can be the unstoppable, eternal kingdom of Jesus on this earth. That's our prayer. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.